I got a word for you. I got a word for us this week, I think, from the Lord that is very fitting to where many of us are living today. Not geographically speaking, but in our, in our lives, emotionally and spiritually and physically. But let's begin, as we always do, with a brief review and an introduction. But I just want to say again, I feel that this word, I know from my own life, now I have a tendency to live the sermons. Anybody that's come up here and stepped into the pulpit, you know, you have a tendency to live the sermons. So I wish I could pre- preach on peace and prosperity and, and that kind of stuff all the time, but it doesn't work like that. When you, when you speak on the tougher topics, you experience the tougher topics. But I don't think I'm the only one. From what I've heard throughout the week, many of you, this sermon is going to be relevant for many of us in here. Now the brief review and introduction, Acts 27, 27 through 44, that was last week. And the title was Nightmare at Sea, the sequel, Shipwreck. What the crew feared would happen, what God promised through Paul would happen, what God prophesied through Paul would happen, shipwreck, it happened. However, all the lives were spared. But if you remember last week, all lives were almost not spared. Some deceptive crew members tried to make off in the lifeboat and let the others to drown. The problem with that, besides the deception, of course, they violated the condition of the prophetic word of God's promise. The condition was all the sailors had to stay on board the ship or all the sailors would perish. We learned something from that last week. We had a a point for us to ponder, and it was this. God's prophetic words, God's promises, the promises of God, they're conditional. They're not automatic to us. Just because we're such nice people and we became believers. The love of God is unconditional. Please don't mistake the two. The promises of God are not. God loves us. He loves you just as you are. But almost all, if not all, of God's prophetic words, of God's promises to his people, are conditioned on a response, a correct, proper response from his people. You don't just get blessed automatically. There's always God's part. That's the word or the promise. There's always man's part. That's our response to that word or promise. We must do our part. If we want to see God's words and promises to us activated, become reality, fulfilled in our lives. Many of us wonder why this hasn't happened. Well, two things I've learned. God's word is perfect. Your law is perfect, converting the soul. God is perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways, O Lord. So if things aren't happening the way we think they should or they, it seems like they should, the problem is never, ever with God's word. And it's never, ever with God. 
It lies somewhere else. We need to approach it with that perspective. Enough review. Next slide. Today's text is Acts 28, last chapter in Acts, verses 1 through 10. And Maria is going to come and read for us. The rest of us will stand and we will honor God's word together. This is a good time to stretch and shake out the cobwebs, but that's not why we do it. We do it to honor God's word. Once we were safe on the shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold, rainy, and they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out of the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from the hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up and suddenly dropped dead. But then, but when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Pablo's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all of the other sick people of the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. You may be seated. I am so convinced God has something very good that he wants to speak to us today. So let's begin. The title is More Bad Luck. I'm not a big fan of the word luck, but it really fit the title today and where I want to go with it. So the title is More Bad Luck. The format is the usual exegesis, commentary, make some or give the facts, some commentary on the facts, then make a scripture application. God's intention today. Like last week, take a principle from the narrative, apply it to our lives today. And again, like last week, the principle we're going to hear today, we have heard before. Perhaps we need to hear it again. The exegesis, Acts 28, verses 1 and 2. Once we were safe on the shore... We learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. So safe on the shore. The storm had abated in intensity. After two or three weeks of Category 4 or 5 hurricane, it now finally had abated in intensity, though it was still raining. All the sailors, all the soldiers, all the prisoners were safe on shore. Once safe, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. 
Now that they were safe, it was time to figure out where in the world actually are they. And it turns out it was the island of Malta. For you geographic buffs, geography buffs in here, it's an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's located between Sicily and northern Africa. It's roughly 90 miles from Italy. It's 635 miles from Rome. Some history of the island. There's evidence that the island was actually settled around 2000 B.C. Put that in perspective, that was about the time Abraham lived on the earth. About 2000 to 3000, somewhere in there, B.C. There is an indigenous native people group that have already been firmly established on that island by the time Paul got there, which was about 50 A.D. There's also evidence that the Maltese people, the people who inhabited the island, it was a very highly civilized, it was a very highly, it was a very highly civilized people group, at least relevant to this time in history. They were a kind, welcoming people. They treated the unexpected, unexpected visitors cordially. The next slide, verse 3, is from where we get our title. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. Are you watching this story unfold in your mind? Two weeks of hurricane at sea, the ship being battered. Then all the drama that went on as they, they heard the promise they'll be safe and they needed to get to this sandy beach. But they first had to go through the deceptive soldiers trying to escape in the lifeboat. Then they all would have perished. Now they're finally there. Now they're finally safe. They're warm. And a poisonous snake bites Paul on the hand. Do you find this puzzling at all and confusing? Paul survived persecution from the Jews and the Gentiles. He was imprisoned by the Romans. He survived storm at sea. He survived shipwreck. He survived many other harrowing, life-threatened threatening experiences. He has a sure promise, prophetic word from the Lord. He's going to Rome and there's ministry there, only to be bit by a poisonous snake. Are you kidding me? Some of your lives have seemed like that recently. More bad luck is what we'd say or what they'd say in the world. More bad luck. Or is it? Is it bad luck? Is it just coincidence? We've been in this now long enough that I get a sense God may just be up, the, up to something here. Could this snake bite, poisonous snake, makes it clear it's poisonous, could this snake bite be just another God turn of events? Is it another piece? Now listen. Is this snake bite just another piece of the chess game that goes on in the spiritual realm? Spiritual warfare. Remember, just because they survived the storm, they survived the shipwreck, that does not mean that Satan went away, does not mean he's given up. He's still trying to kill Paul. Paul has greatly damaged Satan's kingdom. In his ministry, and Satan wants him dead. 
Paul's still trying to kill, Satan's still trying to kill Paul. And as we're going to see, God is still working all things out for good. Genesis 50, 20. What you intended for evil, God meant for good. The saving of many lives. Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good to those who love him or call according to his will. Even a storm, uh, even a shipwreck when I'm on ministry tour, even a snake bite, even Satan's interference, God works all that together for good. Do you believe it? We're going to see it. Continuing the exegesis. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand. I don't know about you, I hate snakes. Do we have any people in here who actually like snakes? I knew it. There's always a couple. Can you imagine seeing this creature? One of the versions calls it a creature. This creature hanging on the Apostle Paul's hand? That would have been the end of me. Here's the conclusion they came to. They said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the storm and the shipwreck. See, justice will not permit him to live. This is going from bad to worse. The opinion of the locals is now turning against Paul. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time, they saw that he wasn't harmed. They changed their minds and they decided that he was a god, small g. So Paul was unharmed. God protected Paul. God protected Paul from this poisonous snake bite. It did not harm him. They waited and they watched, expecting to see what would normally happen in this situation. But it didn't. And bam, God had their attention. Granted, they still came to another wrong conclusion. They thought Paul was a god, small g, instead of a robber. But God now had their attention through this miraculous event. And God isn't finished on the island of Malta yet. So we do understand by now, I'm assuming, I hope, the whole storm, the shipwreck, this whole deal was under God's control the entire time, right? Despite Satan's best efforts to get Paul to stop kingdom work, to stop the spread of the gospel, God was in it. God was orchestrating the circumstances. God was controlling the narrative. And I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't really care in a sense, but I want you to know God does, and he's controlling the narrative of your life. No matter how much it seems out of control, no matter how much it's not making sense, sometimes, unfortunately, no matter how much it doesn't seem to line up with his word, that's the tough one. That's when faith needs to kick in. That's when trust needs to kick in. But just know this. God is in control of all of it. It's not coincidence and it's not happenstance. The question is, not is God in control? Where is God? What's going on? The question is, can we trust him? Man, he's been hitting us hard week after week. It's the same narratives, but they all go, they're different narratives, but they all go back to the same lesson. Can you trust me? I can trust you when I can understand it. 
I can trust you when I can figure it out, when it makes sense. Yep, I trust you everything you said you are. But what about when it's all breaking down and it's all falling apart and it's not making any sense anymore? Can you trust him? Can I trust him? I'm not asking you if he's trustworthy. These are two different things. He is trustworthy. The question is, can you trust him? Can I trust him? He's been dealing with me on this issue big time. Can we trust him in times and circumstances and situations like these that Paul was going through? Can we trust him in the adversity of life? God's intention, and we will see why in a moment, was to get Paul to this Mediterranean island of Malta. Well, I thought he was going to Rome. He is, but there was a stop-off along the way, a God-planned stop-off along the way. And many of you are heading in one direction, and interference and interruptions, they're God-planned. If you're living for him and you're seeking him, his face, they're all God-planned interruptions. The sooner we begin to realize that and acquiesce to that, took me a long time, but I do now for the most part. The sooner we can accept that that's what this is, the better we can deal with it, the more useful we become to God to be able to use us. Instead of fighting him, we're letting him call the shots. And that's easy. I keep going back to this, but it is so easy when things are going good to believe that God's in control. But when everything's out of control, then what? I think many of us are there, and I think it's God intended that we're there. We'll see that as we get closer to the application. Paul is on his way to Rome. Paul will get there. I read the ending of the book. He will get there. You could have read ahead. You would have known that. He will get there. But there was another God-planned stop along the way. I'm sure in his wildest dreams when he survived a shipwreck, he did not think, I'll probably get bitten by a poisonous snake. When you finally got through something and you thought, whoo, clear sailing, you probably did not expect the next God interruption in your life. Am I right? And if you're like me, you probably respond the same, time, same way to the next God interruption as you did the last time. You didn't learn nothing. No, that's too much. We are changing. We are growing. I see it in us. So why did God so desperately want Paul to get to Malta? Because there were precious lost souls on that island that needed to hear about Jesus. Malta is only about 18 miles long. It's only about eight miles wide. But it was inhabited. It was inhabited by people. And God cares about people, wherever they are. Listen, I want you to learn something that you probably already know about your God. I want us to learn something that we already know about our God. Lost souls matter to God above all else. That's what this is all about. Otherwise, he would have taken us home. It's the only reason we're still here. It's the only reason the church is still on the earth is because there are lost souls that need to, be, need to come to know Jesus. And God will go to any length to reach them, wherever they are. 
He will work through and he will work around the world, the flesh, and the devil's best efforts to stop him. God will work around that. He will not be deterred, and he will reach lost souls. The fact of the matter is, when we accepted Christ, if we truly accepted Christ, like it or not, we became part of God's quest for lost souls. That's his plan for your life. There's a lot that goes into that and comes under that, but God's plan for your life is to reach people for Jesus and my life. That's why you're still here. It may be tough, as we'll see in the application, but if you have ever led one person to the Lord, if you ever have ever seen one changed life of a person who came to the Lord, you know it's all totally worth it. Amen. Everything you have suffered, just sort of, whew, when one person truly accepts the Lord and their life begins to change. You're like, this is what I'm living for. I'll put up with all that stuff, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is what I'm living for. This is what I want to see. By the way, little missions promotion. We're having a missionary family come and speak to us next week. Special missionary speakers, they're on this quest with God themselves. They're on this quest to reach lost souls somewhere in Western Africa. We can't really reveal the actual nation because they are limited access missionaries. But somewhere in Western Africa, this couple that's going to come and talk to us next week, they're on this same quest we're on, only across the ocean in a different culture. We'll hear what God's doing through them. They'll be here to share their story with us. You don't want to miss it. So Acts 28, 7 and 8. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and he treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. That was a death sentence in those days. Paul went in and prayed for him. Laying his hands on him, he healed him. God was up to something. He works in such mysterious ways his wonders to perform. God cared deeply about these people on the island of Malta, even though they didn't know him. He had a purpose for Paul and his companions to get to this island, in spite of the great difficulty they encountered. History has it that Publius' father, Publius's father, was the first Christian convert on the island of Malta. The island today is 95% Christian. It's a worthwhile trip. Now, just to be fair, 95% at least religious, at least church-going. Maybe the percentage of evangelical believers is somewhat less than that. But the island of Malta is still a Christian nation. False religions and cults have not really been made, able to make an inroad there. And where did it start? Right here in Acts 28. Through a shipwreck. Through a storm, a shipwreck, a snake bite. <laughs> God allowed Paul to get bit by the snake, but not to get sick and die, to get their attention. Publius, the acting chief official, then wanted to introduce Paul to his dad, who was the former acting official. God took it from there. 
He healed Publius's dad supernaturally and miraculously without antibiotics. And then, then all the other sick people on the island came and they were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. The beginning of Christianity on the island of Malta. We need to know something about our God. God is always about saving lost souls and healing the sick. That's who he is. That's what he does. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is. Praise his name. Can I just get prophetic here for a minute? Jamal, would that be okay? (laughs) We're going to see much more of God's power to save and God's power to heal in these days ahead. We're probably going to see much more of God's power to save and to heal in the days ahead than we have seen in the days gone by. That's who God is. That's what he wants to do. That's his heart. He likes to save people and he likes to heal them. Quick story. It's not in the notes. but So my mother-in-law was in the hospital and she requested to see me. She really wasn't a big fan of Christianity up to that point. Deb, you correct me if I get any of these details wrong. And there's just this thing I have, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm called, especially to the hospital, I get this feeling come over me that I'm going to lead the person to the Lord. It's just happened, you know, a handful, six, eight times. Well, it happened that day, and I was driving down 30, and they were, my mother-in-law was pretty serious. I got into the hospital room. She couldn't get out of the bed. They didn't really expect her to live. Is that correct? So we were just chit-chatting, and it got on to the Lord, and you know what I'm going to say? She ended up praying to receive the Lord. Yeah. There's more. So she said, you know, I used to be Methodist, and I haven't taken communion in so many years. Will you come back down and bring me communion? Monday was the day she accepted the Lord. Wednesday, I said, I'll come back in with communion and serve you communion. So when I got back on Wednesday, my mother-in-law was out of bed, sitting in the chair, the picture of health. I said, Joanne, God not only saved your soul, he healed your body. She lived for like nine more years after that or more. God loves to save souls and God loves to heal people. That's who he is. When that doesn't happen the way we think it should, we're forced back to that, we got to trust him. But that's who God is without question. It's all through scripture. He loves to save lost souls and he loves to heal people. He doesn't like disease. That's a bill of goods that we've gotten from the world, the flesh, and the devil. God hates disease. Why it's not always healed the way we think, I'm not sure, working through that, but I have not changed my opinion at all that God hates disease. Why? Sickness came in with sin, and God hates sin. There was no sickness before sin. I've said this many times to us now. Sickness is a part of the curse. Jesus died to reverse the curse, to set us free from the curse. Somehow we got to work this out practically, but this is the truth of Scripture. So they get to the island. There's a sick former official, the dad of the present official. God heals him. First they saw Paul get bitten. He was unharmed. 
Then they see this guy get healed. Then they're like, hey, maybe there's some of that for us. So they bring all their sick. And God's like, no, no, I was just here to save Publius, his father. No, what did he do? He healed all the sick. Not some, all. The whole village came out to see Jesus, and he healed all their sick and their demon-possessed. And it said that no one ever came to Jesus for healing during that ministry, public ministry, that he didn't heal. There's no record anywhere of him saying no. It's not time. It's not my father's will or anything like that. I know I'm giving you stuff. You're like, oh, man, my brain's leaking out my ear. But these are things we have to work through. Because God needs us to be in a position that he wants us to be in to use us in these days ahead. Remember Galatians 6, 9. Don't get tired of doing what is right. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. That's the end of the exegesis. We have a point to ponder, a principle to think about. As fully committed believers, kingdom workers for Christ, be prepared for adversity. It was going good up till then. As we have seen over and over again in our study through Acts, especially in the life of Paul, adversity does not mean that God isn't present. Adversity does not mean God isn't working. It often is evidence to the contrary. Adversity is often evidence that he is present and evidence that he is working. Just sometimes we can't really see it. God is at work in the adversity. In the adversity in your life, if you know the Lord, you're living for him, you're seeking him, he's in the adversity that you're experiencing. John 5, 17, my father is always working, and so am I, said Jesus. So now you may sit back, let the word of God speak to us, on this matter. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Not much commentary. Last week I made a lot of commentary on the scriptures. I felt I needed to. This week I want the scriptures to speak to us. So here we go. This is the close. John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. First Peter 4, 12 and 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it, was re- when it is revealed to all the world. Acts twenty nineteen, I have done the Lord's work humbly with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. 
Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Romans 5.3. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and into trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. James 1, 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I do want to make one comment there. That is so foreign to our natural thinking to count it joy when we are facing problems, trial, and adversity. That's the first hurdle to get over is to get the right perspective on life and the things that life throws at us. That's not usually my first response. I'm learning and I'm coming into that. But that's not usually my first response to count it as joy. Acts 14, 21 and 22. After preaching the good news in Derby, making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them, as God is reminding us today, that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And it's not because God wants to bring hardship on his people. It's because we have an enemy. And that's just the nature of how it is. Second Corinthians 6, 4. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Second Corinthians 12.10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. When I am weak, then I am strong. First Thessalonians 4, 6 through 7, 6 and 7. You received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. In spite of severe suffering, it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Second Thessalonians 1, 4. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and your faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. You know, when we're suffering in this nation, 
We suffer very little for being a Christian, actually. But we definitely also have our share of trials and tribulations because that's part of life. But when we suffer for Christ in, in this nation, honestly, it's nothing compared to what believers in other parts of the world suffer. We're the exception rather than the rule. If you read these verses to every church that Paul founded and now he's writing them letters, every one of them was under severe persecution, hardship, trouble, trial. It was the nature of the game. I'm not a doomsday prophet. I'm not saying that's coming on us. But I'm trying to put it in perspective. The things that we actually face here are nothing compared to what many of our brothers and sisters are facing around the world. Second Timothy 2.12. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. And the last slide. is our point to ponder again. As fully committed believers, kingdom workers for Christ, we need to be prepared for adversity. To be effective kingdom servants, we must expect, endure, and know how to correctly handle adversity when it hits. Otherwise, Satan will have a heyday with us. We wipe out at the least little bit of trial, hardship, persecution, adversity, whatever it is, trouble. We wipe out at the very first experience of that Satan had his way. God can't use us. That's also what this is all about. God needs to use us, and he can if we don't know how to correctly respond to adversity. If we're bailing all the time, if we're giving up, if we're giving in, if we're getting angry, if we're getting depressed, then we're unusable. He might as well take us home. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Hopefully this was helpful. If you'll stand with me. My prayer, if you'll make your way forward. I'll also call the band to come up. We will close with a worship song from the band. Deb, just wait till everybody sort of settled down and then just pray good and loud into the mic. Father, I just want to thank you so much for today and for giving Pastor Hub the sermon. You know, it makes us think that all of our troubles and stuff is, is from Satan. And I just pray that we just be like Paul and just put our faith and trust in you, Lord, that we can just uh, move forward and just give it all to you. Because in the end, like he said, what it is, is about is saving souls, Heavenly Father. I pray for the sick and the, the addicts and the people with anxiety and depression that, you know, mm -hmm. these are the people that, that we need to bring in, Heavenly Father, for your kingdom. So, Heavenly Father, I just, uh, as we worship today, that... I just ask that we just uh, open our hearts and just if there is any obstacles or any kind of bondages that we give them up to you, that they will not interfere with our paths, that we can go and do 
discipleship with people and uh, bring, bring them to you, Lord. So, Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I just, we need you, we love you, and we can't live without you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.